The emphasis in James 4 is upon the responsibility of believers to set themselves apart from worldliness. Worldliness is that satanic system of opposition or rebellion against God. It is propagated through philosophies and ideologies that reject God and the truth as revealed in His Word. Furthermore, it emanates itself through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Worldliness is attractive and allures believers by promising the enjoyment of illicit pleasures. If it feels good, do it, is the mantra of its hedonistic propaganda. And believers who flirt or fornicate with worldliness are committing spiritual adultery against their spiritual husband, Jesus Christ. In doing so, they once again make themselves enemies of God. Believers who are worldly exhibit certain behaviors according to James 4, 1-6. First, they lust or have illicit desires for things they cannot obtain. Second, they hate others. Third, they are jealous of the successes of others. Fourth, they are covetous of what others have. Fifth, they're always fighting with others. And believer, if you acknowledge these behaviors in your life, you must take the remedy against worldliness, lest you commit spiritual adultery and become the enemy of God. And James sets forth the remedy in ten commands. One, submit to God. Two, resist the devil. Three, draw near to God. Four, cleanse your hands. Five, purify your heart. Six, be miserable. Seven, mourn. Eight, weep. Nine, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. And ten, humble yourself. Having provided this remedy to worldliness, James returns to those worldly behaviors being exhibited by some believers, perhaps even some of you. Particularly, he focuses upon their quarrels and conflicts, as he mentioned in verse 1. These quarrels and conflicts were not so much physical confrontations as they were verbal. And no doubt, based upon what James says in James 4.11, these conflicts involve demeaning others through name-calling, lies, gossip, criticism, and slander. As such, these believers were misusing their tongues, a sin that James has already rebuked in chapter 3. Do any of those sins describe you? Misusing one's tongue or demeaning others, is rooted in pride, not humility. It is pride because to demean someone is to elevate yourself above the other person. And hence James issues a twofold warning about the danger of demeaning others. The danger of demeaning others. Here in James 4, verse 11 and 12. We'll see that first, demeaning others violates God's law, and second, demeaning others violates God's authority. Let's begin with James chapter 4 and verse 11. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. James 4.11 The first danger of demeaning others is that it violates God's law, as James explains here in verse 11. He begins with a command. Do not speak against one another, brethren. After referring to his readers as adulteresses, sinners, and double-minded, James returns to calling them brethren. 
He invokes this familial title because he is pleading with them as members of the same family. He reminds them that as believers, they are all part of the same family, the family of God. And it is important to remember that though they had much to repent of, they were still part of God's family. How comforting it is to know that when we sin, though it creates hostility with God, He does not disown us as His children. Indeed, as Proverbs 3.12 states, For whom the Lord loves, He reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom He delights. Now the verb speak against, kataleleo, refers to the verbal attacks that James referred to in verse 1 of James 4. Kataleleo has a wide variety of meanings, including but not limited to maligning, disparaging, making false accusations, gossiping, and criticizing. Such violations can be summed up as slander or demeaning others. The command do not speak against one another is in the present tense with a negative particle indicating an act in progress which needs to be stopped. As noted in James 4.1, these believers were hurling verbal assaults against one another. Both Paul and Peter accused their respective churches of the same sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 20. Paul says, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. 1 Peter 2.1, Peter commanded the believers, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Slandering or demeaning others is sinful because we have been commanded to encourage and build up one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another. Peter used the verb kataleleo to denote the manner in which unbelievers were persecuting believers. 1 Peter 2.12, they slander you as evildoers. 1 Peter 3.16, keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Now, while such behavior is to be expected of the unregenerate, it should not be expected amongst the regenerate. Nonetheless, James accused the brethren of demeaning one another. And the present tense of the command highlights that this demeaning of one another was an ongoing problem. And it's still an ongoing problem in the church today. Though James' focus is upon speaking to one another, the verb speak against is also used in relation to God. In Numbers 21 verse 5, the Israelites were rebuked for speaking against God and Moses. Quote, the people spoke against God and Moses. In that context, speaking against refers to questioning God or his ordained authority. Applying that to us as believers today, consider Romans 13.1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. And so, my friend, 
When you speak against government officials, you are speaking against God. Now, this does not refer to calling out leaders for immorality or sin. But when a believer speaks against or talks of rebellion or sedition against their government because they don't agree with its politics or policies, then that is sin against God. Romans 13.2 says, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Something to consider there, believer. Now, the command to, to not speak against one another is framed upon Psalm 50, verse 19 and 20. You let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. In Psalm 50, the psalmist decries those who appear to be righteous, but are in fact wicked. And using Psalm 50, verse 19 to 20, as the foundation for his prohibition, James decries those believers who appear to be spiritual, but are inwardly worldly. Any believer who slanders or demeans a fellow believer is not godly, but worldly. How about you? Are you godly or are you worldly? If you're demeaning a brother or sister in Christ, you're worldly. Now consideration should be given to Psalm 50, 21 to 22. We just looked at Psalm 50, 19 to 20, but let's continue on. These things you have done and I kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forgot God, or I will tear you in pieces, and there will be none to deliver. See, the psalmist warns us here not to view God's silence or long-suffering as approval of such behavior. Those who speak against one another will be reproved or judged by God. And similarly, James is commanding us to cease demeaning one another because, in the words of James 5.10, the judge is standing right at the door. Now the reason why we should not demean others through name-calling, false accusations, gossip, criticism, slander, etc., is that it violates God's law. Along with speaking against one's brother, James also warns the believer not to judge his brother. The verb judges, crino, covers a range of issues from talking critically against someone to condemning someone. And James adapts his inclusion of judging against others from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. Now, sadly, this verse and James' statement are applied by Christians and non-Christians alike as a prohibition against any form of judgment. However, this is not the intention of Jesus. This prohibition against judgment is given in the context of applying the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Hence the command to not judge is given in the setting of treating others as one would want to be treated. Contextually, the prohibition against judging is not a flat command against all forms of judgment. 
Jesus commanded his followers to make judgments regarding the spread of the gospel. Matthew 7, 6, do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and tear you to pieces. Now one must judge who is a dog or who is a swine in order to make that determination. In Matthew 7, 15 to 16, Jesus also commanded his followers to judge teachers to determine if they are true or false. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Instead of prohibiting judgment, Jesus said in John 7, 24, judge with righteous judgment. Now, friends, in order to judge righteously, Jesus set forth two fundamental principles that we must heed. We must judge with humility, and we must judge without hypocrisy. First, we must judge with humility. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 2, For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. That means, friends, that we should only judge others by the same standards or laws by which we would judge ourselves. And if you're judging without humility, it's going to produce a critical spirit. See, the reason some of you have a critical spirit is because you're not judging with humility. Second, we must judge without hypocrisy. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 3 to 5, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Judging without hypocrisy requires judging oneself before judging others. Take note of the terms first and then in Matthew 7, 5. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The term first, protos, means before anything else. Then, tota, means subsequently or soon afterwards. So before dealing with someone else's sin, we must first deal with our own sin. And after dealing with our sin, then we can subsequently deal with the sin of our brother or sister. So when you're dealing with a fellow believer who has sin, let me urge you to be motivated by love and to do it in private. Friends, if you are driven by anger or hate to confront your brother or sister's sin, then you, you yourself must first deal with with your own sin. It's easy to overlook the specks or splinters in our own lives while easily seeing the logs in someone else's life. And this is hypocrisy. Again, overlooking one's own sin is hypocrisy. You must see the sin in your life is as big or more significant than the sin in someone else's life. And as well, when you're confronting others, let me urge you to be gentle in encouraging or admonishing them to forsake their sin. Galatians 6.1 Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. 
Hebrews 3.13, Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Admonishing others does not involve slander, criticism, or condemnation. Now, because judgment is often unjust, people are very quick to object to any and all forms of judgment. And friends, believers, we must respond biblically to these objections. When someone says to you, well, the Bible says not to judge, you ought to respond by explaining Matthew 7 and how it condemns unjust judgment. Furthermore, show them 1 Corinthians 6, 2, where the Bible says that believers are to judge. 1 Corinthians 6, 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest courts? Perhaps some others will object and say, well, it's not fair to judge others. Well, the Bible commands us to judge fairly. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but are to judge your neighbor fairly. Proverbs 18.5, to show partiality to the wicked is not good, nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment. Some will state, well, only God can judge me. But the scripture says that God has appointed human judges to judge in his place. 1 Chronicles 19.6, he has said to the judges, consider what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you when you render judgment. A popular excuse that is given by many, is that it's not my place to judge. God, however, does not allow us as believers to give that excuse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3, Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more will we judge the matters of this life? The final objection that is often flaunted is, Who am I to judge? The scripture encourages believers to practice godly judgment, and with constant practice, you can judge rightly. Hebrews 5.14 the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now let's return to James chapter 4 and verse 11. James' command against judging other believers is not a complete prohibition against judging. His focus is upon a type of judgment known as criticism. According to the Collins English Dictionary, criticism is, quote, the act or instance of making an unfavorable or severe judgment or comment. And sadly, the church is filled with people who believe they have the gift of criticism. Beware. The gift of criticism is not a gift of the Spirit, but a gift of the original slanderer himself, Satan. And those of you with a critical spirit are motivated by either jealousy, bitterness, or, and this is the big one, selfishness. You are quick to pass judgment based on assumptions or without knowing the other person's motives. Grant Osborne states, quote, When you judge, you are looking down on others and enjoying telling them how wrong they are. There is no love in the process. Does that describe you? Are you critical? Are you constantly criticizing? James says that shouldn't be so. 
See, demeaning anyone, particularly a fellow believer, through some form of slander or criticism is sin. James goes on to say that when you demean another person, you're speaking against the law and judging the law. Speaks against kataleleo and judges krino means to slander and criticize. The law in view is God's law, what James previously referred to as the perfect law of liberty in James 1.25. Hence, when you slander or criticize another believer, you are in essence slandering and criticizing God's law. Listen, examine yourself. Have you ever criticized another person or specifically another believer? If you have, you've criticized, you've slandered the law of God. Back in James chapter 2 and verse 8, James set forth that, gen that the genuineness of one's religion or faith can be determined by one's adherence to the royal law. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Now, this summation of the royal law is found in Leviticus 19.18. And interestingly, Leviticus 19... 15 to 16, contains the commands against unjust judgment and slander. It states, you shall not do injustice in judgment. You are to judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. Furthermore, Jesus implored us to apply this law in our daily life. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. We are to be quick to be merciful and to forgive. See, friends, those of us who have received much mercy and forgiveness from God should be quick to be merciful and forgive others. James goes on to say, If you judged the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. The term judge, critase, denotes one who renders decision about the law's enforcement or application. See, when you violate God's law by demeaning others, for example, you're passing judgment on the law's validity and authority. Luke T. Johnson states, To practice slander and judgment against a neighbor is therefore to assume not only an arrogant superiority towards an equal, but also to assume an arrogant superiority to the law that forbids such behavior. One assumes the right to decide which laws apply and which ones don't. In essence, you are saying that God's no law is no longer valid or applicable today. And contrary to that popular opinion, the gospel did not invalidate or annul God's law. Remember, James previously exhorted us to be doers of the word in James 1.22. He went on to add that one who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, that is, does it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You see, a doer of God's word is a doer of his law. Are you a doer of his word? Are you a doer of his law? However, those who are busy judging God's law are too busy to obey it. On the other hand, you who are doers of the law, you will be blessed. 
Of course, that also implies that if you disobey God's law, you will be cursed or punished. Demeaning others usurps God's law. The second danger of demeaning others is that it usurps God's authority, as James explains in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Demeaning others usurps God's authority. Now, as stated in verse 11, those who do not obey the law have become judges of the law. Herein lies the danger. There's only one lawgiver and judge. Just one. Now, the term one is in the Greek text in the emphatic position, highlighting the oneness of God. In a sense, James is declaring that the Lord is God and there are no other gods before him. As well, this one Lord is both lawgiver and judge. That the Lord is lawgiver and judge is an allusion to Isaiah 33.22. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver. Now the term lawgiver, nomothetes, used only here in the New Testament. The only other usage of nomothetes is in the Septuagint translation of Psalm 9.20. Appoint, O Lord, a lawgiver over them. Let the heathen know that they are men. The rareness of this term is related to the fact that in a number of ancient languages, there's simply no term for lawgiver because it would, be, it would literally translate as one who gifts laws. To the ancient peoples, gifts and laws were incompatible. Laws were viewed as something which instilled fear and not pleasant. Gifts were something that were pleasant. Hence, in Psalm 920, the Septuagint translators interpreted the phrase, put them in fear, as a point a lawgiver. Now, as to the identity of the lawgiver, the Jews often referred to Moses as the lawgiver. For example, Philo, in his treatise on the life of Moses, stated, quote, Now, these four qualities are closely connected with and related to the legislative power, namely, humility, the love of justice, the love of virtue, and the hatred of iniquity. For every individual who has any desire for exercising his talents as a lawgiver is under the influence of each of these feelings. Therefore, it is of a very great thing if it has fallen to the lot of anyone to arrive at any one of these qualities before mentioned, which in fact Moses appears to have been the only person who has ever done. Now, while that may be Jewish tradition, the idea that Moses was the lawgiver, Scripture nowhere denotes Moses as the lawgiver. In fact, Exodus 34 verse 12 clearly identifies God as the lawgiver. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. Notice that it was Yahweh who wrote the law and gave it to the people. Hence, he and he alone is the lawgiver. As the lawgiver, God declares his will through his law and demands that his will be obeyed. The term judge, Christ is the same as in verse 11. It denotes one who renders decisions about the law's enforcement and application. The one who gives or appoints laws is the only one who has the authority to render judgment upon the law's enforcement and application. And that one is none other than God. As well, God's judgment extends to those to whom he has given the law. 
as judge, God commends those who obey his law and condemns those who disobey his law. Abraham rightly understood that God was the judge when he declared in Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? James expands upon the idea that God is the judge of all by stating that God is the one who is able to save and to destroy. His quote is an allusion to Deuteronomy 32.39. See now that I am he, and there is no God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. Jesus explained Deuteronomy 32.39 and Matthew 10.28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Thus the phrase to save and to destroy encapsulates the idea that God not only controls physical life and physical death, but also spiritual life and spiritual death. Yahweh as judge, has the authority to commend the repentant to heaven and condemn the unrepentant to the lake of fire. Revelation eleven eighteen. The nations were enraged and your wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. You see, you need to understand that when you stand in judgment over God's word or over your fellow believers, you are taking upon yourself a role that belongs solely to God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever slandered, gossiped, lied about, maligned, criticized, unjustly judged another person? In doing so, you have taken a role upon yourself that belongs only to God. And James asks, Who are you who judge your neighbor? When James asks that question, he uses the adversative but to express a contrast between God and humanity. Whereas God has the authority to judge his law and people, what authority do you have to do the same? The answer is simple. You don't have that authority. When you unjustly judge another, or you criticize God's word, you are taking upon yourselves authority that is not yours. And furthermore, in usurping God's authority, you have blasphemed God. The point of James' question is that by demeaning others, you are violating God's law and usurping God's authority. God's law specifically commands us to love our neighbors, Leviticus 19.18. And that neighbor, according to Jesus, is anyone within the vicinity of another who could be shown mercy. Luke 10.29, 36-37. to 37, Wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Which of these three, Jesus went on to say, Do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. By using the term neighbor, James widens the admonition against demeaning others to include everyone, not just fellow believers. You see, when you criticize or condemn your fellow believer, you're not showing mercy. And a failure to show mercy is a sin against God. That failing to love or show mercy was a sin was not new to James' readers. Indeed, the testament of God states, Take heed therefore, my children, of hatred, for it worketh iniquity against the Lord himself. 
for will not hear the words of his commandments concerning the loving of one's neighbor, and it sinneth against God. Believer, none of you, regardless of how spiritual you may perceive yourself to be, none of you has the right or authority to judge or to contemptibly regard others. Romans 14.1 Now accept the one who is weak in faith, not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Indeed, everyone was equally going to stand before God the judge and give an account of himself or herself. Romans 14, 10 and 12. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. You must cease criticizing and condemning others because in doing so, you are causing your Christian brother to sin. Romans 14, 13. Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. Take heed, Christian, to the words of James chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. We live in a culture driven by slander and criticism. And I'll tell you, believers have made a hobby of demeaning one another. Demeaning others is often masked in terms of confronting people's sin. Well, I would warn you to beware of what you share about other people. If the motive behind what is, being, what is being shared is to hurt another person's reputation, then regardless of whether the facts are true, it is sin. By slandering and criticizing each other, you are committing the sin of Matthew 7, 1-5. You are focusing on the speck of sin instead of focusing on the log of sin in your own life. In addition, you are guilty of unjust judgment. If you are judging or criticizing someone out of jealousy, bitterness, anger, or hate, it is unjust and sin. If you are judging or criticizing without all the facts, it's sin. If you're judging or criticizing by assuming the person's motive, it is unjust and it is sin. And demeaning others will only cease to the degree that we check our attitudes towards others. So my friends, I want to challenge you. Before you speak, ask whether your words are encouraging or discouraging others. Ask yourself, are your words going to build up someone or tear them down? When you're tempted to demean someone with name-calling lies, gossip, criticism, or slander, remember God's law to love one another and say something that is good and kind. Using Jesus' principle of forgiven, forgiving 70 times 7, Bruce Barton suggests, quote, One practical approach to silencing a slandering habit is to practice making seven positive, encouraging statements for every critical one we make. As well, my friends, we need to speak the truth, but speak it in a spirit of love. Ephesians 4.15 Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Furthermore, if speaking the truth about a fellow believer would hurt or harm their reputation, 
We need to cover it in love. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you. And Lord, we deal with this text and it steps on all of our toes. Because at some time or another, we're all guilty of demeaning others. We're all guilty of some form of slander, some form of criticism, some form of gossip, some type of false witness, some type of of, uh, maligning, backbiting. We've all used our tongues in an evil way. And so, Father, we pray that you'd forgive us, that you'd have mercy upon us. Father, I would, I would pray that you'd help us to understand the, the danger here. That it's not just an uncontrolled tongue, but the danger is bigger than that because we are usur- usurping your authority. We are, we are violating your law. Forgive us. Father, our desire is to see the unity of the church build and increase. But first, Lord, we must control the fighting and quarreling. We must control the tongue. And Father, the reason why our tongue is so often out of control is because of the sin of worldliness. Because we're pursuing those that lust and that anger and that hatred and that jealousy and that envy and that coveting rather than seeking to be appeased by you. Father, help us to confront those sins. Help us to forsake those sins. Help us to use our words to encourage one another and to build up one another. Help us, Lord, that when we do find ourselves tempted to slander or criticize, that we would stop and consider the law of love That we would stop and rather than name that one thing, we would come up with seven positive things. And in doing so, we might speak the truth in love. And that we might cover a multitude of sins with love. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.